the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 178 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us today. You know our Twitter handles. I'm not even going to spend time going into them. My goal was to try to record a podcast with Andrew talking on first-year player draft guys for this year's draft. And we went, like, my goal was to do it in 75 minutes. We went a couple minutes over, so I'm not going to waste your time with shameless plugs or any of that. If you like first-year player draft stuff, Andrew and I just finished three Rotomasters, well, Andrew just finished three Rotomasters League's drafts, and he's got the ADP for you, and we're going to talk about our thoughts on the top 30 for that. So buckle up, enjoy the ride, and thanks for listening. All right, we're back this week, and we're going to talk about first-year player drafts, which is something that's very exciting every year for players who play in Dynasty Leagues. And Andrew, you have put together your three RM Rotomasters Leagues that you run together here for to make this ADP. Why don't you just talk about the leagues and how, like anything you want to fill in on these leagues before we get started? Yeah, so um, three leagues. I'm the commissioner of the three leagues, me and Brian Crump. Um, and it's, you know, Rotomasters 1, Rotomasters 2. They're both 15 team with batting average, um, standard, you know, standard 5x5, five five, essentially, uh, 25 minors. And then RM3 is. 20 team and it's on base percentage instead of batting average. So this ADP is just compiled from the three drafts. Uh, I realize it's obviously not a lot of drafts, but just more a way to talk about players and kind of where they were valued in those leagues. One thing to keep in mind a little bit is that um, with the difference in the settings, there may be a couple of players that um, were taken in a different spot, like say in the 20 teamer than they would in 15 teamer. I'll kind of bring it up as we get to it, but, um, or, you know, how, how they're valued, stuff like that. It can change a little bit. So just things to keep in mind, but more, more than anything, really just wanted to kind of talk about these guys. And this was kind of the best way to do it. Gives us a way to talk about these players. Um, you know, we talk about these Rotomasters leagues here and there, why don't you tell everybody when these leagues started? I know and you know, but like it's pretty impressive how long running these leagues have been now. Yeah, RM1 was 2016. Um, so this will be what, the ninth? Yeah, that's correct. Season, Nine. is that right? Yeah, I just, I did the yeah. fingers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, ninth season. RM2, 2017, so the eighth season. Jeez. That's and I know, time just flies, right? And then RM3 was 2019, so this would be the sixth season. That's pretty. Um, yeah, just it's crazy how fast time flies. I've been thinking about doing a fourth one for a few years and haven't quite gotten there, but I'm still not ruling it out. I just haven't done it yet. It's a lot. I mean, running three yeah. dynasty leagues in general, along with the work of, you know, every year, 
every offseason, if you've got three of these, that's 50 teams right there. And you got to hear that everybody's returning. Guys, you know, somebody leaves some league every year to where you got to fill those spots. It's a lot of work. And it's an unappreciated job. As somebody who runs a dynasty league, I and I've run plenty of leagues over the years, being a commissioner of a fantasy league is never appreciated enough because it's a lot of work. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't look at it too much as work, but it is work. I mean, I don't know. I enjoy it for the most part. So it's fun. All good. But it's yeah. it's work. <laughs> I'm gonna call it work. <laughs> so yeah, there's some differences with those leagues in terms of, and we'll talk about it. I guess I don't even need to carry on about that part because I definitely have thoughts. But we'll get to it whenever we get to players and we talk about the differences. So the three leagues, you basically took the ADP from all three. And then you did had basically an average number on them, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, we and you and I have also made our own top 30s here that we're going to talk about as we go down this list and talk about where we had these guys ranked ourselves. So we'll we'll be you'll be able to hear both of our thoughts on where we had them ranked. So starting off one one, um, and this was the obvious 1-1. He went first in all three leagues, and that would be Wyatt Lankford with Texas. You know, Andrew, you and I have talked about him a lot in redraft and dynasty startups, and we both agree he's the clear number one. Uh, we both had the first overall pick in a dynasty league and took him. And, you know, let's just talk about this guy in terms of expectations and what maybe what you think the ceiling could be for this guy. Yeah, I feel like we've talked a lot about him. I mean, it. I think short term, he's going to be really good, polished young hitter. Uh, chance to make the opening day roster seems to be trending that way, although I wouldn't necessarily call it a lock yet. Um, but yeah, I think he should be able to help in every category this season, kind of why we've been saying we've been targeting him all offseason. And then long term, you know, when you're as good of a hitter as he is, I just think it's somebody who's going to hold value for a really long time. Um, obviously, like barring injuries or something like that piling up on him. But, yeah, I just think that it's a skill set that'll last a long time and um, he'll provide value for many years. I don't I don't know how many years I expect him to be like in the top of the first round in like a redraft league. Maybe not a ton, but. He's a stud. He's he's very clearly the number one pick in these. I don't I don't really think it's close at all, personally. What percent chance do you give of him being a top fifteen ADP and NFBC leagues pick at some point in the next five years? Throwing that one on you, I just thought of it. Um, because that's a high bar. Like a first rounder in the next five years. Yep. Do you want realistic me or do you want um, ambitious, <laughs> ambitious me? I would, I would put it. I'll say thirty to forty percent, somewhere in there. I was thinking somewhere forty to fifty as I was sitting there in my head. So yeah, because well, that is that is a high bar. It I, is a very I definitely high think. Bar. He, yeah, I definitely think he can get there, but I think more with him the value is going to just come from him being in the top, say 50 to a hundred as like a floor every year. Yeah. You know, like every single year, 
I think that's where you're going to get the value from him. And he'll have he'll have peak years where he gets really high too. We could talk about him for a good 15 minutes, but we're going to be talking about 30 players, and I want this to try to be in 75 <laughs> minutes or less. So we've talked about him enough. We're going to move on to number two, which would be, oh gosh, I don't even know how to pronounce his first name. Yoshinibu? Did I say it right? That works for me. Yamamoto. That's what we know him as. Yamamoto with the Dodgers. Uh, where did you have him ranked on your own list? And also, I, I, do you have the sheet in front of you for the picks, the number he went in each draft? Yeah, he went two, four, and two in the three drafts. Second, okay. it was second overall by ADP. Okay, where was he on yours? So I know I told you this, and um, this is—I don't know if I've ever. I, I kind of thought back. I don't know if I've ever thought this way because in my opinion in these drafts you should really just be trying to acquire the most value that you possibly can at each step so I don't usually look at it like some people where oh I'm in contention I need this I'm going to draft this or oh I'm rebuilding so I'm going to draft this Um, I typically just look at it like take the best player but for the first time I think ever if I had the number two pick in this FYPD, I think it's close enough that my tiebreaker would be if I can win the league or realistically win the league cash, if that's your goal. But um, this season, I would take Yamamoto. And if I couldn't and I was a rebuilding team and I have no chance this season – I would take Dylan Cruz. Yeah. Um, and I also think that Walker Jenkins can enter this discussion too and is fine if that's your guy over Cruz. It would probably be a little harder for me to take him over Yamamoto, but I don't hate it either. I think that they're I, – I think – I guess what I'm saying is these guys are close enough that I do think you can factor in where your team is at and make the decision. And I normally wouldn't say that, but I just think this is a unique case. So kind of where I'm at. It is a unique case. You got a guy who could be a first-round pick bat versus an arm that is going – I mean, this guy could be an ace, and but is going to be – and also is in a great org. I mean, that's an underrated thing, the fact that this guy signed a what, – what did he sign, like a 13-year deal with the Dodgers? Is that Do I have that right? Something. I don't know. I'm not it, sure. Whatever it is, it's basically saying he's going to be a Dodger his entire career. And that is a beautiful thing to have with a pitcher. You know, he is short. He's listed at 5'10". And I don't remember where, but I heard someone say on a podcast that, who saw him recently that that seemed generous. Might be more like 5'8". But he sure does have the helium that's been on the level of like the Darvishes, the Otanis. And he has the long-term contract but you know we're recording this on thursday afternoon and i did you by any chance see any of the video from his first minor his start there in spring training yeah a couple pitches not much but a little bit i saw a tweet that showed every all i think it was 19 pitches that he threw and something that jumped out to me i think his fastball i want to say it touches like 98 and when I was watching him throw that and then throw those his curveball sliders, or I think it was a curve, I ju- that curve looked so slow. 
to where I was like, man, that's a big jump in speeds. I mean, I didn't look and see what the speed was with that curveball, but it just looked like it floated. And then he's got that nasty splitter with it. it I mean, I it was the first video I've really seen of him, and I'm like, okay, I, I, I really, I like, that looks really tough to pick up. To where, yeah, I, I think I would have him three on my list unless, like, in your scenario, I don't know what I would do if I was two and I was competing right now and I could use another arm. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably have to be in that spot, but I, I could see myself making that same decision like you where you go Yamamoto in that spot. But in most spots, I think I'm having him at three there. I generally, I, I generally look at it like why take – you know, if you think Cruz is a better, I'm just going to use Cruz in, in this instance. But if you think Cruz is a better asset, why wouldn't you take Cruz? You can trade him for a better arm than Yamamoto if you believe that's the case. But like here, I I don't really know if I can believe that's the case because I think there's plenty of people out there that wouldn't trade Yamamoto for Cruz. Well, straight up, you we're know, in three so, drafts here and Yamamoto went higher. So right, right. Um, so yeah, I just think you have to kind of evaluate where you're at and i think it's okay to take any of them do you see my uh do you see what i posted in arm two last night about mm. yamamoto no i went to sleep Let, pretty early what'd you say he went he went 23rd overall in a online rotowire online championship on nfbc last yeah. yesterday yeah uh fourth starting pitcher off the board yeah. so the 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 helium is here. Yep, it sure. <laughs> I think is. in my first, I think in my first draft this offseason, he went. I want to say it was eighty-four overall. So yeah, quite a quite a rise from there. Well, number three, to uh, a little bit of a surprise for me is Walker Jenkins with Minnesota. So where do you have him on your personal ranks then? Uh, I would take Jenkins four, most likely. I put him like I again I don't know what I'd do for sure if I was in the four hole, but I think I actually I put him at five. I think I would actually take one other person above him. I mean, we'll get to him in a bit, but it's not really as much of a dislike of Jenkins as just a you know, an endorsement of the other guy. But, you know, anyways, Jenkins seems to have a really good hit and um power profile with with a little bit of speed in there too and Showed well in his 26 games in rookie and A ball last year. He turns 20. He turned 29 at, or I'm sorry, not 29, 19 in February. And in those 26 games, he did have a K rate in the low teens in complex and low A. So everything's looked really good for him so far, and I think that's what's moved him up a little higher because I think he was more in the four or five range whenever we were coming out of the draft last year, assuming Yamamoto was going to be up. So I don't know. I I don't know if I, I think for me, it's just the fact that he's still got quite a few steps before he's going to get to the bigs. He's only been in low A so far, and that's why I have him one for one or two spots lower than most, I think. What about you? What are your thoughts on Jenkins? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me. I, I don't really have much of an issue after Langford, like too much which way people want to go. I mean, I, I would personally just take – I mean – there was a point where this was the Dylan Cruz draft, you yep. know, and and he's just going to be in the majors sooner, uh, provide more speed. Uh, if you want to say Jenkins has a better bat, I wouldn't I wouldn't even argue that necessarily. But like you said, there's more steps and um, 
yeah, I don't think it's anything wrong to have him at two or three or, you know, four or five. Just depends on how you look at it. But, yeah, I think he'd probably settle in at four for me. I'd ever never really had to make that decision. So um, I, I kind of tend to, like, not think too much about the rankings that I just know aren't going to affect me much, you know. And that was kind of how it was there. But, um, yeah, he, he could definitely be, like, the number one prospect in a year. I mean, it's all there with the hit and power and – yeah, definitely uh, an elite bat, looks like. So. Completely agree. And I say I've got him at five, and I wouldn't blink if I, he went two in our RM2 league. And it surprised me a little bit. By, by no means am I going to say that's a mistake. It's just, I mean, we're we're splitting hairs with a lot of these top five. Well, at two through five, that is. Number one, I would be, I would be a little surprised. I would be surprised if anybody but Langford went in any of these. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, number four, Dylan Cruz. You know, this was the Dylan Cruz draft a year ago, all the way up through July or August. And I just said, I think I'd have him too, typically for me. But so this one did surprise me a little bit to see his ADP all down at four. But again, we're splitting hairs with these guys. But anyways, Cruz is a college bat that almost everyone had at 1-1. And he did strike out more than people expected in the 34 games after he moved past rookie ball. And he went from the arguable one one, and he's now here at four in this class. So, um, personally, I think this is a guy people are going to regret passing on in first year player drafts. I, I'm, and maybe that's too strong because I, again, Yamamoto. I don't have questions. Walker Jenkins. I just feel like Cruz is going to blow up. And, anyways, um. The question I ask myself a lot is, what does Walker Jenkins have over Cruz specifically? And I've asked that question in Baseball 365, and I heard one person respond like he's been better in pro ball. And, you know, to me, it's like, come on, it's been twenty a 26-game sample of Walker Jenkins and a 35-game sample for Cruz isn't changing my mind on either that much, to be honest. Uh, You know, Cruz, he played like it, it you know, he had played a full season of senior ball or his um, final season of college um, and then was in pro ball playing another 35 games. He might have just been tired. I remember um, that being said about Mike Trout the year, like one of the years he made it to the Arizona Fall League. He had played a full season of minors and then got up there and was a little tired. And I don't know. I wonder if there's something to that with him. And he still had like a 22% K rate in double A and. I don't know. Personally, I think a year from now, Cruz could be the borderline first round pick for like dynasty startup drafts in my startup that I just finished, like Langford went at the 15, 16 term. And I kind of think Cruz, there's a good chance he could be right there this next offseason. I think that he, he could be like a 280 hitter with who's hitting like 30 plus homers and stealing close to 20 bags early in his career. And that's a first round pick. And Anyways, Washington, you know, one last thing, and I'll get off of this because I'm going, I'm, I'm rambling. Some people use the Washington doesn't have a great track record at developing backs, bats, you know, over the last decade. And I get that, but you know, they had Soto, Harper, and Rendon who were elite bats coming up who did become stars. And I feel Cruz is closer to that group of skilled prospects over like the Victor Robleses and the other ones that had questionable hit tools coming up. So... Anyways, that's that's my little rant on, or rambling, whatever you want to call it, on Cruz. Why don't you go? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in line with you. I I, 
you know, as much as as much as we say about Langford, and I definitely think Langford's won. I wouldn't be that shocked if Dylan Cruz wound up being better. Not like, at all. At some point, you know, it's just it. You can't really be that shocked by that, you know. I mean, um, obviously, I like Langford more right now, but I mean, this stuff can change fairly quickly on a lot of these guys. And um, yeah, I think I think in more situations than not, I would probably take Cruz at two. But if I'm in, like I said, if I'm in that spot where I'm competing, need a stud pitcher. I'm totally fine with taking Yamamoto. So, yeah, I I pretty much echo everything you said with Cruz. I I think he's I think you like him slightly more than me, but I think it's close, and we're we're pretty much in lockstep. I think he's going to be up pretty soon. I'm actually start the more I'm seeing like in spring training and how much he just seems to look like he fits in out there. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw the other day like yeah. diving catch, couple steals. Like the more I've thought about, it, I'm like, man, what what is keeping this guy from just coming up? quicker than we think um yeah i think i think cruz is likely a stud and he's close enough like the proximity is there five category production should be there so yeah i i definitely think people are um a little too down on cruz because of you know whatever it is 35 pro games reactive yeah yes all right, we'll go to Paul Skeens. He's fifth here. Uh, he's the last one. And then we'll start talking about these guys after the top five more in groups. But Paul Skeens, uh, he's fifth, and I think I have listed the other four guys. So or you know one, two, three, and five. And yes, Paul Skeens for me is number four. I'm assuming he's five for you. Yeah, yeah, he's five for me. So first pick in the 23 draft. People have said he's the best pitching prospect to come out of the draft since Steven Strasburg. I've heard many say they worry about his fastball. I've, I should I'm rephrase. I've heard a few people say that his fastball seems a little straight. And, you know, the Pirates do have had some struggles developing elite prospect arms in the last decade. I mean, Garrett Cole and Glasnow, neither one really started um, getting their like hit, hitting their potential until they got out of town. Does any of that factor as a legit concern for Skeens for you? No, not really. All right, so why don't you talk about him? Yeah, I mean, number one overall pick. Um, there's been some concerns about the fastball shape. I personally, I kind of look at Skeens like you kind of just have to make a judgment call on how much risk you're wanting to take on in terms of an arm because he is an arm mm-hmm. and there is some inherent risk with that. But that said, I could also argue that if we get like the top end outcome out of every player in this draft, he might be the most valuable player in the entire draft. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, he could, you know, if we're, if you're talking about Garrett Cole level upside, I mean, where does Garrett Cole go and, in redraft, you know, he goes in the first round. So, I mean, there's there's no locks with that, obviously, but um, I think it's pretty clear that he's got nasty stuff. Uh, he's fairly close to the bigs. I mean, I've been kind of joking the last couple months, like why why even put this guy in the minors? I mean, <laughs> if you look at take one look at the Pirates' rotation, and I just I'm just kind of of the belief these days, more and more as the years pass, like don't waste the bullets in the minors. These guys can break at any point. Yep. You know, worst worst case scenario, he's in double A AA or triple A. He gets hurt. 
And then it's, you know, 12 to 18 months till he's back. If it's a serious injury, stuff like that. I, I mean, I personally think he's the best pitcher in the Pirates organization right now. And I would probably start him opening day. But uh, they won't do that, by the way. But I just look at their arms in their rotation, and it's just hilarious. So I don't know. I would I would have him up quick if I didn't have him up right away. But, yeah, I just kind of lean that direction when it comes to, like, wasting bullets in the minors and all that. We could go off on a whole side road about that. But, yeah, I think Skeens is a stud. I think he's, you know, ace potential, all that. So it really kind of comes down to, you know, in RM3, Shaw went ahead of him. If you want to play it a little safer and go with a bat, I'm not opposed to that. Um, I would personally go Skeens at five, but, yeah, kind of my thoughts. Here's a philosophical thing that I haven't mentioned to you before that I've wondered lately. You know, you were just talking about, you know, getting them up now so you don't waste the bullets. And I wonder if there are GMs that out there that would rather, like, you know, almost everybody seems to have Tommy John surgery at some point anymore. And I wonder if teams would rather their guy still be in the minor leagues and have it just because if they come up to the major leagues and have it, they're spending a full year and a half of service time on the major league injured list. And I, I, I wonder, and there's no way to know exactly when it's going to happen with these guys, but I almost wonder if they're, if it happens or if that, that factors in a little bit. And I'm, I don't, I don't know. Just one of those things I've thought yeah. to myself lately. Yeah. Hard to say. I've never, never really thought of that, but, Hard to say. All right, we're going to list six through ten here. We're not going to go as long on each of these guys as we did the first five. The first five are the big ones. Uh, Matt Shaw ended up with the ADP at six on the in the, on your three leagues here. Max Clark was seven. Colt Emerson was eight. Hurston Waldrip is nine, and Brock Wilkin is ten. So first off, how did you have those five get five ranked? And then I'll go, and then I'll I'll, I'll list them too. Um. Uh, I would actually go in the exact order that they were in. Shaw, Clark, Emerson, Waldrop, and Wilkin. I do I do think with Clark I could argue I I think I can argue Clark as high as like four. Mm-hmm. Um because I think of the bats in this draft. You know, put Skeens and Yamamoto just in a different category for a minute. But I think that Clark is the one that is has the most just pure upside, just like 99th percentile outcome. This is where he's going to go in a redraft league. I mean, it's kind of like Corbin Carroll's starter kit. You know, it's just obviously there's a ways to go till he becomes Corbin Carroll in the bigs. But like the tools are there, I think, to be that. So I think you can kind of argue Clark anywhere from four down to eight. Um, And I have him at seven because I do think, you know, the guys ahead of him, they're closer to the bigs or safer, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, He's still got a lot of steps and is a little ways off. But, yeah, I really I really like Clark. If I was sitting there and I had to choose between Shaw and Clark, I think I would choose Shaw, but I would definitely pause. I definitely would. So I'll touch on that. I got Shaw 6, Clark 7. I actually have Wilkin 8, Emerson 9, and Waldrop 10. So we both still had the same five in our top 10 there. And, yeah, you know, I had the sixth pick in the RM2 draft, and the the top five in this ADP were gone. 
So I had the Shaw versus Clark, and I kind of figured, like, I went into this draft assuming I was looking at Shaw or Clark there. And, like, about, you know, right after the draft, when I was reading up and listening to people talk, and I, I was like, man, I really think I like Shaw. Like, that's going to be a target for me. I wasn't at that time thinking Max Clark over, or Shaw over Clark, but I did, like, in the fall, start moving Shaw over Clark in my own little in my own ranks before I was seeing anybody else do it. But then about a month ago, I, I, I flipped him back. And, I, and it's what you just said, that upside in Clark is just sky high. He could be the top. Like, we could look back and be like, Max Clark was the best player to come out of this draft. It's very possible. And then I thought about it some more, and I, I moved Shaw back above him. But I think the gap... I think we're both on the same boat here, it sounds like, where the gap between Shaw and Clark is a lot smaller than most rankings I've looked at when I see where they're at on prospect lists. I think they des- they should be a little closer than they are, and it sounds like you yeah. agree with that. Yeah, I think if I, I actually think if I was at six, I, I don't even know. I, I'd probably see if the guy at seven wanted, wanted six. <laughs> <laughs> probably. It's, I, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty close. Something I should have done, actually. I didn't even think about trying to move down, but that would have been a smart idea to see what, what possibly could have been thrown in there. So, uh, Emerson, you just said you've got him above Wilkin. Uh, I noticed on some photos yesterday, and it sounds like Emerson's put on another 20 pounds of muscle, supposedly, and him and he looks great, the photo I saw of him. And that's been the question mark with this guy is how much power is going to come. And that's a good sign for him right there. Yeah, yeah, really, uh, really like Emerson, crushed his pro debut, um, 60-grade hit tool, can kind of move around. Um, Yeah, I just think he's a hitter first and has time to kind of grow into even more, you know. So, yeah, I really really like Emerson. I got him at – I got him in RM1 at pick nine, and I was happy with that. Yeah. I think I've got Wilkin above him, but I I'm there. I like them both. I mean, it's not really as much on Emerson as just I like the seventy grade power in Wilkin. It, there are more questions about his like the strikeouts than he is on a corner, but I like the fact that he's got a great ability to work walks. Um, ha, has me on board with him, but you know, it's it's all about where you want to put your risk. You know, Emerson. The question is, will the like how much power is going to be there with him? Wilkin's the question of the hit tool, so. Yeah, really, it's just kind of where you want to put your risk at. Uh, Waldrip is one of your guys. You've talked about him a few times this offseason. You've grabbed a lot of redraft shares, but we haven't talked dynasty as much. Why don't you just go um, touch on him real quick? Yeah, with with Waldrip, actually, a lot of what I've said and thought the entire time has been in a redraft context. Um, I mean, I've I've been taking him basically all offseason. He's my most drafted player in redraft. I mean, it just gets to, it gets to a point in like around round 30, obviously the talent's thinning out, you're in the reserve rounds and it's just like Braves, obviously great team context. I know that he's not starting in the rotation or anything like that, but um, I also think he's one of their best five pitchers and it's going to just be when they want him to kind of come up and do that as opposed to, like having to wait for something. I mean, it could take an injury too, but I mean, like Chris Sale is in a bastion of health, you know, stuff like that. So there could be openings pop up. I think he's going to come up at some point, 
probably this summer and make starts for him. So I like him a lot in the redraft context because you're not spending much. Uh, in Dynasty, I'm about, I feel like, where the market is. Like like I said, I've got him at nine. That was his ADP here. Um, and, yeah, the main thing will just be as long as the control is is there, which hasn't always been there. But his stuff is as good as anybody's in this draft, including Skeens. I mean, his stuff's ridiculous. So I really – it's just – I can't ever ignore, like, when these guys go to the Braves, the Dodgers, the Orioles. Like, there's certain teams right now where I just feel confident in their player development and how these guys are going to progress. And I kind of feel like whatever issues Waldrop has, he's on the right team to take care of it. You know, and yeah, that's just it gives them a bump for me, generally speaking. All right, we'll go on and move to the next five. Got to keep us moving here. I could keep talking about all these guys, <laughs> but I'm like, OK, we've we've already hit over 30 minutes, so we got 20 more to go. But we're also talking groups here. So uh, 11 through 15, we got Tommy Troy at 11. Leo DeVries, I think it's DeVries. I always want to call him DeVries, but I think I've been hearing a lot of people say DeVries. At 12, the international signing with the uh, Padres. Shoto Imanaga signed with the Cubs. He's 13. Bryce Eldridge with San Francisco is at 14. And George Lombard at 15. So, again, how do you have these five ranked? Um, I would go Troy, Lombard, DeVries. I call him DeVries. I don't care what the actual <laughs> – at least all I know for sure. Um and then with Imanaga and Eldridge, it's probably just league dependent. I think the deeper the league, the more likely I would be to take Imanaga. But I like Eldridge too. So, yeah, yeah. I can kind of go either way on that. Yeah, DeVries was my highest. I had him at 11 on my ranks. Um, but this is where I was off. Like the, the, These guys weren't all in my top 15. doesn't sound like they were yours either. I had Lombard at 15 and Troy at 16. I mean, those are pretty close. Eldridge at 17 and Imanaga at 19 on mine. Um, you know, Imanaga in the first round, like what are the pros and cons to taking a guy like that? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's really like uh... – there's very differing opinions on this. Just as an example, in the three drafts, Imanaga went 8, 16, and 20. So I think it really just comes down to what specific owner is in those ranges and um, how they value that versus the prospect that's going in that those ranges. I don't um, – it, it, typically with a guy like Imanaga – I'm going to be less aggressive on him. Um, I did have 17 overall in RM3, and he got to 16, and I was going to take him at 17. Or I was pretty sure. I was kind of like narrowing it down. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a 30-year-old pitcher that's going to be in the bigs and likely going to be a pretty good pitcher. I don't expect him to be an ace, but um, somebody that you can just drop into your lineup and should help. So, it kind of, again, it just depends on how you value that. I think some people value that more and some people are more like, eh, I don't want to, you know, because if it goes sideways with him, he also can lose value fairly quickly. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just think it's kind of depends on how you feel about it, really. Everybody's different with that. 
Yeah, good org too. I mean, the yeah. Cubs Cubs are a team that should be you know competing for the next few years, and you know a lot of pitchers who have come over from Asia have had good success in the early going. Um, you know, Kikuchi feels like the example against this, and he was going at the top of sub drafts the year he came over. I think I think he was the number one overall pick in RM one the year he came. Um, and. You know, Imanaga doesn't have the stuff that some of these elite guys I was listing before have, but he can provide immediate value right now. If And if he's pitching at a high level, he could also return better than these picks going after him right around this point. So, I. But that said, I'd probably take the prospect this year if I'm not competing. But if I have a good roster, yeah, no issues taking Imanaga there. Uh, Leo DeVries, he's the first international pr- um, prospect praised for his hit tool and power you know last year there was no international players going up in this range and now he's up here as a first round player what are your thoughts on DeVries DeVries whatever you want to say and just the you know the back and forth with the international guys yeah I I have met uh I had him at 13 I feel a little cooler on him than I feel like he went in he was going about 11, 12, so it's not much. But um, Tell us why you hate Leo there's, DeVries. Yeah, there's a lot of – it really <laughs> – I, I feel like in the last few years, I've changed my general opinion on the international guys. And, you know, they're far away, obviously, and I'm okay with that. But I also feel like other owners – and I do think you have to think of this. And I don't think a lot of people think of it. But – I think you have to evaluate your league and whether or not other owners value players like that. Um, I still tend to like drafting them, but I'm not quite as willing to just push them way up. Um, And not that this is, you know, it's a late first rounder, whatever, but, and I know he's ultra talented, you know, and could be a superstar. I mean, that's, but, uh, I also feel like with a guy like that, if he doesn't take off on the ground running, you know, whether it be DSL or low A, um, there's going to be doubts and the trade value is going to tank. I mean, it can tank quick. So um, these type of players, and there's a few other ones here, they really do just need to hit the ground running and take off. He definitely could, but I just, I always have that in my mind a little bit because I know the value can just drop if, uh, if they're not producing at a high level. Well, couldn't you say that about any of the guys as I'm sitting here thinking though, like it, let's just, you could, you could, but you also have to lock in the fact that he, you know, for sure he's far away. Yes. That's so, true. That part's definitely. So true. if it's a, if it's a guy that's at like high a or double a, and he's off to a little bit of a rough start. Sure. But they're also a little more predictable. I feel like because they're a little closer and, some people, I think, I just think some still value. I'm like, these guys, I've had a few of them over the last few years where, you know, their values can just disintegrate if you're not careful. I, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen with him, but I just think you have to be aware of that is all. That's fair. Um, who was the Dodgers guy uh, the, from about like three or four uh, years ago? Uh, Rodriguez. Yes. Luis Rodriguez? Yes. Yeah. So to to your point, actually, I'm thinking of two Maximo examples. Co- Maximo Acosta. Yeah, Same that's thing. another one. And those guys... Like Luis Rodriguez specifically, he was, you know, a top 50, 75 prospect, I think. On Eric a lot Pena. Of lists. 
And whenever by the end of that year, he was out of the top 200. And then I think a Nolan Gorman, to your point, who caught a lot, caught like the year he was drafted, he got really hot that um, summer after being drafted. And he was arguably the number one pick in that draft. He was in the 20 to 30 range on prospect lists that I'm remembering. And he struggled his first full year of pro ball. And I don't think he fell out of the top 100. So to your point, I mean, they may not drop as much. So, yeah. okay. Uh, Bryce Eldridge, massive lefty, you know, big guy, 6'7", 223, pound, 223 pounds. So swing and miss for a guy that big is going to be hard to avoid. But, man, that guy's got massive power. I don't know if you want to add anything on him. We can, you know, got to. Yeah. Yeah. Big power. Sounds like he's just going to develop as a hitter, two way guy um, coming out. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Huge power. The contact, as long as he makes enough contact, should be fine. Not really speed, though. So you really are just banking on the power. Um, Saw Tristan Cass's comp that if everything goes well. Yep. Which is obviously nice. But yeah. Yeah, I like Eldridge. I'm a little lower, but I like him. And then you got your boy, George Lombard. We both seem to like him more than the field here, but I know you're higher, so why don't you touch on him? Yeah, yeah, Lombard, uh, this ADP is is pretty much solely because of me. Um, <laughs> he, I, I have him at 11. I essentially, when I kind of did this, I went through, like, the guys I just – I. I think there's a group at the top, and for me, it was ten guys that I couldn't take over them, and then I or couldn't take Lombard over. And then after ten, I was kind of like, I think it opens up, and you can do a lot of different things and go a lot of different ways. Tommy Troy's my ten, Lombard's eleven, and the main difference for me is I just think Troy's going to be closer, a little more advanced, stuff like that. But um, yeah, Lombard is. To a T, pretty much what I like in a prospect. 6'3", 190, high school kid, young for the level, above average to plus across the board, pretty much does everything, like five tools, not really lagging anywhere, has the bloodlines. His dad is a Tigers bench coach, used to be a Major League Baseball player, and he's just well-rounded, has good makeup. Um, And then I also – it's funny because – you wouldn't, you don't really think of this, but I do a little bit is I just think there's a little bit of extra hype too with a Yankee. Um, and I think that does add in trade value a little bit. It's not much, but a little bit. Um, yeah, I just, like I said, projectable young for the class. I just, I like everything about him. And the more, as I went through this and started putting him because most, most rankings have Lombards Lombard in the twenties or, you know, maybe 18, 19, and the more I just went through it, I'm like, nope, I'd take him over that guy. Nope, I'd take him over that guy. And I just got to a point where I was like, okay, I can't go any higher. But, yeah, I like him that much. He, he's He's got every tool to me. So now, obviously, got to hit the ground running. I did see the um, – I don't know if you – or, yeah, I shared it with you, I think, the the oppo homer he yep. hit. I think it was the first game of spring training. And, yep. man, my my blood was pumping when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, – definitely love Lombard so what do you think his ADP would have been because you took him in two of the three leagues another guy jumped over you in the third one so he and that guy I think already knew you liked him so what do you think if you had not drafted him any of those three leagues what his ADP would have been I think it would probably have been in the 20s yeah Yeah. 
I might have had him in arm too because you took him at four. No, I. And but you know what's funny is everybody that I've talked to about him since has said, "Yeah, the more I'm looking into it, I get it." You know, it's just, um, yeah, I, I you kind of just do have to put him up next to some of these other ones, and they've all got you know some warts, but. Yeah, I just I really like his all around game and his potential. I definitely went into this before we had ever even talked because we don't really talk much about sub players until after our RM2 draft because we've just got our, you know, we've got our guys in our heads. And I was definitely with you on that in terms of higher. I wasn't quite as high as you were, but I was still pretty high having him at 15 overall. So, yeah, that's one we independently each came into our, you know, came into really liking that we shared there. All right. Uh, Let's move on. 16 through 20 here. Uh, Kyle Teal ended up having the 16 ADP, the catcher for the Boston Red Sox. Jung-Hoo Lee, or I hope I pronounced that right, with San Francisco, the international player that came over, signed with them. Noble Meyer, the prep arm with Miami at 18. Walker Martin with San Francisco at 19. And Braden Taylor with Tampa Bay at 20. Um, I'll start. I had Teal at 18 in my ranks. I had Lee outside of my top 30 personally. I did. I don't even like. I did. I don't even. I didn't even look to see exactly where I had him, but he was outside of my thirty. Uh, Noble Meyer was at fourteen. Walker Martin was at twenty-four, and Braden Taylor was at twenty-two for me. How did you have those five ranked? Uh, Meyer or uh, Walker Martin, I had at fourteen. Well, one thing I'll say: my rankings are pretty fluid. Yes. Like I'm always, especially with something like this. If I see or read or anything with really any of these guys that I like, I have no problem bumping them up a couple slots. And yep. some of these guys, and Walker Martin's definitely one of them, I moved up throughout this process. Like, I just kept moving him up. Um, I ended up with him about 14. But uh, Braden Taylor right behind him for me. And then, I don't know, Teal, Noble Meyer, I, I could go either way. I, look. Teal on in RM three was essentially off my board because it was a it's a one catcher twenty team league and I have Adley. Yeah, I don't tip I don't typically draft that way, but it just made no sense and I knew that he would go in a range that I just wouldn't touch him. You yep. know, um, and then Lee like with Jung Hoo Lee, I do think he'll have some value in fantasy this year, but it's also really challenging to rank him for me against. Yeah against these other players because it's just totally different. Like, um, I don't think he has much ceiling, but he is going to provide stats this season. So again, it just comes down to how much you value that I've, I've seen a list where he was ranked like 11, but then there's also people like you that say they wouldn't take him in their top 30. It's kind of just all over the place, you know? So, um, you want me to touch on Walker Martin or yeah, you're, you're, you really like Martin and Taylor. Why don't you yeah. touch on them and then I'll do Meyer. Yeah, Walker Martin is actually um, similar in ways to Lombard for me. I just like, again, 6'2", 190, can grow into his frame, a little bit older for the class. That's the main difference for me with him and Lombard. Martin actually just turned 20, high school kid out of Colorado. Um, But yeah, very similar, big bat speed seen comparisons to Gunnar Henderson, which is obviously the dream could move, move to third. But the thing is, is like with, with guys like Lombard and Martin, they're just my types in so many ways, because 
I feel like they have a ton of different ways of providing value. And that's what I love to lean on, especially when they're younger. It's like they play up the middle so they can provide defense. You know, they have strong arm, they're athletic. If they move to third, their bat can play. They could, you know, if if they're filling out and they have to move over, maybe their power jumps, maybe their speed dips, but there's just so many ways. Like if they keep their athletic frame, maybe they stick up the middle and they're providing power and speed, which I do kind of expect for both of them, at least for a little bit. Um, so there's just a lot of different ways. Like, for example, Brock Wilkin, who I do have hired. I had him at just below Lombard, but most people have him above him. And my, my main issue with Wilkin isn't that. It's just he basically has to make enough contact, which, by the way, I think he will do. But if he doesn't, you can quickly see how it's like Eugenio Suarez or something, you Mm -hmm. know, where it's just low batting average, a lot of power, and that just ultimately doesn't have a ton of value. I'm not saying that he's going to be that. I'm not even trying to rip on Brock Wilkin because I do like him. I do feel a little cooler on him than most, but it's kind of like there's just one thing that has to happen, and if that doesn't, whereas with guys like Lombard and Martin, you just have all these different options. It's like he can do this, he can do that. He could go this way. He could go that way. And he's still going to have value to a team. And um, yeah, I just, I love prospects like that up the middle can play center field, whether it be center field or shortstop, or, you know, some of those guys will move to second or third, but I just feel like that they have so many different ways of providing value. So yeah, I definitely love Walker Martin Taylor. I guess I'll touch real quick. Cause I did get him in a couple of them too. Uh, TCU. TCU guy, uh, 19th pick overall to the Rays, um, plus hit tool, seeing a couple Bregman comps, which you got to like. I don't think he's like a huge ceiling guy, but I do think he's going to hit. I like that he's left-handed in the Rays org because obviously as much as they platoon, you know, at worst he would be on the strong side of that. Um, Yeah, I just think he's going to hit. Like I I don't really have too much reservation with – with that part of it, I think he's high floor, likely to return value in some capacity, and uh, hopefully quick to the bigs. So, um, yeah, I like Taylor quite a bit. Well, it's funny, and I get why you said it now that I like hearing you say it. But when you just said you like he hits left-handed for Tampa, I'm like, I don't like that he hits left-handed for Tampa because it seems like lefties always get platooned, while righties sometimes do and sometimes don't. But that said. If you don't hit well enough on right on right, you do get platooned and then you're on the short side of it. So yeah, I could make an argument for either side of that. And it's funny to hear you say it that way. Cause I was like, I actually thought of that a different way and I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong. That's just a different way. I hadn't thought of it because you're well, right. Also, they do. They platoon almost everybody. Yeah. I also think he could just be a good enough hitter that he doesn't get, platooned. Yes. but if you're, if you're a right, right. And you have a chance to go to the corner in Tampa you can pretty quickly see how like, yeah, that, that guy better be hitting the snot out of the ball, you know? Yep. So, cause they like to play platoons. I also, so. also Braden Taylor, 48 of 48 on stolen bases since his freshman year at TCU. You know, so he's not like a, he's not like a plus speed guy or anything, but I think he's an efficient base stealer. And I, I just think he could help across the board and high floor. I, yeah, I, like I went and reread that in the last few days and I'm like, uh, it might have been a little too low on Taylor, and that was something that actually jumped out to me when I saw that. Because, yeah, he's not rated as this high-speed guy, but that tells you he's got really good base instincts, which plays in the majors. 
I mean, Ronald yeah. Acuna is not the fastest runner in baseball. It's just he's right. great at stealing bases. So yeah, there's something yeah. there's something to that. Uh, Max Meyer, he was. I'll just touch on him. You know, drafted. I that's another one of those orgs. You mentioned the orgs you really like. Miami, I really like for how they do with pitchers. Uh, they don't develop bats worth a lick, but they develop arms well. And Meyer's got a 60-grade fastball, and it's got really good spin on it with a great slider, good control, huge upside. The changeup is the thing he'll need to work develop in the minors. And he has a prospect prep arm, so he's further away. That is, there is, And there's that puts more risk in any of these guys, but <clears throat> any of like any of those guys have more risk. But I think he's got, like, third best upside highest upside of any pitcher in this class personally uh you know he could have he could have the highest yeah i, I mean, mean he, that's true he has really he has really high ceiling my my thing with meyer my biggest issue and i don't have a huge issue with where he goes i feel like i was a little lower but um i feel like with him it's everybody just forgets it's a prep righty yeah and for what and it's like prep righty is the most volatile player there is you know it's just they're so volatile uh i do think his ceiling is extremely high but it's just funny to me that throughout the all the noble meyer stuff that you hear it's like i just go back to like yeah he's a prep righty so i mean i i think he could be a stud but he's a prep righty Yep. Just you, some of my thoughts. You dream on one of those guys being a wasn't Jackson Job a prep arm? Was he yeah. A prep? Yeah. You dream yep. on that, but then you also forget about the ones that actually were drafted as a prep arm and never even like by the time they got to the majors, maybe that had Tommy John surgery, lost their control and were in the was a reliever or didn't ever get near what people had hoped. That Yeah. It's a real risk. Uh, Kyle Teal, you know, he's going to be a good catcher in the bigs for a while, but he doesn't feel like he has the highest ceiling. Like I'd downshift him in a one catcher dynasty like you did, but he's a solid grab and a two catcher. I don't know if you want to touch on him or what yeah. to move on. Yeah, no, I would just say with Teal, one thing you just have to love is the, him going to Boston. Like just, they just have nobody at catcher. I mean, yep. he's basically got a Great clear situation. path. Yeah. It's just the perfect team player combo you know out of out of this class i feel like maybe him and waldrop you could say but um just a perfect match he should rock it to the bigs i've actually taken him real late i took him in one or two of my uh my draft and holds um as my like my fourth catcher and i think he i think he could be up in the second half but obviously we'll see him he could also not even not play all year in the bigs but um i think he'll move fairly quick because they just they don't really have anybody else it's kind of his job is just a matter of when. Yep. All right. 21 through 25. We actually had a, you had a t- tie at 21 and 22 here between Polino Santana and Rhett Louder. They both had the same ADP. Then 20- Real quick, since it, since it was a tie, who would you take? Well, we'll be talking about that as we finish, but th- that's an okay. easy answer for me. Um, I would, okay. I, I'll be more curious yours, actually. Uh, Aiden okay. Miller, 23. Nolan Chanel, I still don't know how to say his name right. Uh, Twenty-four and Johnny Farmelo, at or Farmelo, I at with Seattle at twenty-five here. So, me personally, I had Santana at twelve. He was the highest, and I definitely am the high man on him. <laughs> I may be a big reason why he's at twenty-one overall. Aiden Miller's at thir- I had at thirteen. Also, really liked him. Rhett Louder at twenty. So, yes, to answer your question, Santana over Rhett. 
Uh, Shanwell, I had at 46 and Farmello at 32. So how did you have, like, where were those guys in your ranks? Um, yeah, I would go, let's see. Um, I had Santana, I think at 19, uh, he was first. That's actually higher than I thought. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm pulling it up. Um, yeah, Santana at 19, Aiden Miller at 23, Farmello at 25, and Louder at like 28. I kind of moved Louder around a little bit. Um, and then Shanwell somewhere after that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't. I, again, with him, it's kind of, he's kind of hard to rank, but I'm typically just avoiding uh avoiding that type of player in first year player drafts uh paulino santano he's one of those that i kind of felt like i put my flag on he's already bilingual seems to be really coachable from the things i've read or you know heard about him shows well at making adjustments like i I heard um alex jensen talking about that on the james anderson podcast about a month and a half ago about how when he faces a guy a second time he seems to make really good adjustments and I've read somebody else say the same thing. Uh, the comp I, that Alex gave him was like a George Springer. That's the type of upside this guy has. If everything goes right, that's not a, what he's expecting. That's saying if everything goes right. And, you know, we've talked we've talked about this privately, but, you know, I love the organization, and that matters to me in terms of, you know, how they develop these guys, as uh, how they develop their hitters, how they – you know, what type of lineup they have around them. And yeah, Paulino Santana's years away, but this team should be a, like the Texas Rangers should be a really competitive org, like offense for a while now. So I just decided this was the international guy. I wanted to put my flag on when I read up on him. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. Aiden Miller, uh, 55 hit 60 power guy. He didn't hit a homer in his 20 games in his pro ball during the regular season, but he did hit a big one in the low a playoffs there. He's got tremendous bat speed plus raw power, understands his zone well. Didn't really, ha- ha- like, does not swing and miss or chase much. Like, didn't chase much in his 20 games. It is a small sample, but uh, he is starting off at shortstop, but most think he is a corner infield bat. But I think he could be like a 25 home run guy with a good batting average. And I think he might move quicker than most prep bats do coming up, too. So th- those are two guys I was really in on. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything on them. If not, we'll, you know, touch on Shanwell. Yeah, no, that's that mostly that mostly covers it. Um, I do think Santana has a ton of upside. Um, I also think that there's other there's other guys, uh, international guys in this class. One specifically, I'm thinking of that didn't even make the top thirty that has just as much upside, in my opinion. So. That's kind of where I have to balance everything and had him a little lower, but yeah, I get it. Miller, I'm a little more down on, but I get it. Again, it's when it's right, right corner guy, I'm usually a little lower than the field, but um, I get it too. I mean, he should, uh, I think he'll move quicker than some of the prep guys. So I'm with you there. Um, Shenwell, you know, that's an interesting one. He's got such a unique profile. Average exit velocity in the majors last year of 85 miles an hour and a grand total of two barrels in his time. I think it, I didn't write it down. I forgot to look. It was like, what, 40 games in the bigs this last year? Something like that. 
something like that. Very yeah. level swing, but you know, one adjustment could change that. But if not, he's an OB high OBP guy who might be pretty empty everywhere else. So I don't know. I think we both are saying we're not really, we weren't really seeking him out, but he is a guy that's already up. And that's something that you can't say about anybody else outside of maybe Wyatt Langford and Yamamoto. So he's got that going for him. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, the one thing with Shanwell is he's 22. He just turned 22 and he's in the bigs. So I like that has to carry some value, but I also think you just have to evaluate it. Again, it's like you just put them against different levels of prospects and some people are going to take them higher than this. Some are going to take them lower. I personally think he's pretty vanilla, but he is going to have some runway here to improve and, he has OBP skills, so like my one of my main issues with him is just the fact that he's a first baseman. Like mm-hmm. I was kind of telling you, if he played up the middle and did the exact same thing, then you can see where it's a little more it's a little more valuable. And that's that's a lot why I always go back to like the up the middle defense because if you put a similar profile up the middle, the bar it's, it's just so much lower. At first base, you you kind of have to match, let's be honest. I mean, even like the 15th, 16th, 17th best first baseman in fantasy is a pretty good hit. Like their their output for home runs and batting average, it's high, you know. And I just don't know if he's gonna clear specifically the home runs. I just I just don't know if I see him clearing that unless there's like a swing change or any of that. But there's a lot of time. I mean, he's twenty two, so um I won't rule it out, but I, I kind of feel like he's just pretty vanilla. I think if I went around Springfield, I live near Springfield, Missouri, and went to 10 different ice cream shops and asked for vanilla ice cream, and I ranked them all on, you know, taste to most bland vanilla, I think Shinwell would be the most bland vanilla of the vanillas. So (laughs) all I could think about when you called them vanilla. Um, You know, Farmelo, that guy's got insane upside, 55 power, 70 run. These are the type of guys that can turn into top five picks in drafts. But man, I feel like this guy like is as like high of a risk as anybody in this top thirty in terms of his swings very unconventional. Feet timing seem to be a mess. If they could clean it up, he could be a monster, but man, I I definitely felt like I was lower than the field on that guy. But uh like again, upside's there. Yeah, yeah, I actually uh, I actually like him quite a bit. I feel like he is you know, the speed is crazy. I mean, I've seen 70 grade, 80 yep. grade both. Um so that's really good. And again, it's it's defense, center field defense um which has quite a bit of value. It, it's going to come down most likely to how much he hits. Yep. Uh, but I do think he can kind of zoom if he does that. So, yeah, I like Formello. I I kind of moved him around. I, I had him anywhere from like 21, 22, and then I'd move him down. But it, it was more like moving just the other guys too, not so much moving him down. But, um, yeah, I, I like him quite a bit. I, I've learned too that others like him too because I kind of thought going into it he would be a guy that I would land on, but I didn't. That's okay, but – um, yeah, I do like him. 26 through 30 here, the last of the five 
last five we're going to touch on are um i didn't end up with a share of any of these three or five guys in my two sub drafts in my dynasty startup we got arjun namala with toronto uh, Mac Horvath with Baltimore, Enrique Bradfield also with Baltimore, Cooper Pratt with Milwaukee, and Yuki Matsui. We got a closer in there with San Diego, or I guess w- what is assumed is going to be the closer. So, yeah, um, let's just talk about that. Uh, how how did, like, where did that, were these guys in your ranks? Uh, I won't even, well, let's see. Namala, you don't even, if, if you don't even want, you could just talk about it. Well, I was going to know what I was going to say is I won't even count Yuki Matsui <laughs> <laughs> because I don't even like, I just personally don't pay attention to 28 year old relievers in, uh, I think that's what he is. 28, but, uh, I couldn't. Tell yeah. That. I'm just, yeah. I'm just not, not drafting that at least not in the top 30. Um, did you even put him in your queue? No, he was gone before I, he'd really enter it. Okay. I think in RM2 he went in like round four, though. That's okay, I guess, whatever. But um, I probably wouldn't have even taken him there. But, yeah, I would have – I had Namala the highest of this group. I do kind of like all of them. Uh, I wound up with Bradfield in RM – was it – yeah, it was RM2. I think I got him like 34. Um, the thing with Bradfield, he's not my type typically, um, you know, He's a center fielder, and he's really fast, but essentially it, you don't expect him to have much, if any, power. Um, and, you know, what do we do? Like, obviously, we did the outfield podcast not too long ago. We roasted Estery Ruiz, and you can see plenty of outcomes where Enrique Bradfield is Estery Ruiz. Um, the only thing I'll say, and the main reason that I value him pretty much where he's at is I think that there will come a point where Bradfield is approaching the bigs and there's just people that want him because he's going to have a ton of speed. And this is a guy that could steal 50, 60 bases, and that has value in fantasy. Even if you don't like the profile, somebody's going to need steals. Somebody's going to want it. Somebody's going to value it. All it takes is one guy. Jake McCarthy. Jake McCarthy and, was a valuable guy a year ago, and that's yeah. your example. Yeah, and when you when you think about it in that sense, and also tack on the the floor of being a defensive center fielder, that I just think he's gonna unless he's just a horrendous hitter, which I do actually think is possible. But unless he's just a horrendous hitter as he comes up, I think he's going to be a starting center fielder in the bigs. And one with a ton of speed. And that's just going to have value at some point, whether it's to you as somebody who drafts him and can help you with your speed or as a trade chip to somebody who values that. And uh, I think you'll get the value out of Bradfield for where he goes. So that's like the main reason that I was completely okay with him, even though just as a player, he's he's not my favorite, you know, but yeah, I just I think that the value is going to be there. You know, you just said about the, even if he's, a, if he's a horrible hitter, well, Jorge Mateo and Astoria Ruiz have been horrible hitters and they've still managed to find their time into having value. So yeah. just by getting some playing time. Now, if Baltimore is competitive for the next few years and they don't trade them, that could be an issue. But on the same note, 
if I mean he could easily get moved at some point in some deal as their their competing competitive window is here. And the other thing I'll say that I read is he said he had pretty good exit velocities once he hit pro ball and they were and they were um, looking at that. So maybe a little more pop can actually come in there with just a little bit of an adjustment. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anything else on any of these other guys you want to touch on? Because honestly, this was not my batch of players here. No, not really. I had Namala a little higher, but never got him. Um, Horvath, intriguing because he's in Baltimore, and I feel like he's versatile, can move around. Of the five um, guys, he was the one that I would say I was at least neutral on. I didn't get him, but I, I yeah, you know, I, I felt like I was about where the market was on him. Yeah, yeah, and then not much on Pratt. I know he's popular and um, good hitter, so yeah, we'll. Uh, so you got want to touch on some guys that weren't in the yes. top thirty? Yeah, players so outside I definitely, of the top definitely 30. have a few. I definitely have a few that I like. Who who outside your top thirty or uh, who was not in there that you had in your top thirty? First off, so yeah, so my rankings are pretty fluid, but um, the main one is Dewell Joseph, Same. who I kind of landed at twenty on 20 is about basically back to back with Polino Santana. And he's the one that I was thinking of when I kind of said, um, you know, maybe why I'm just not quite as aggressive on. Cause I, I just think like on Santana, because you get Joseph later. I mean, he obviously went later and um, I don't think, I think like people are being naive if they just think that these international guys, they know exactly you know, who's going to be the best, you know, who, how to really rank them. I mean, we saw like last year, Sebastian Walcott was ranked behind multiple international guys that he's turned out better than at least to this point. So yep. I think arguing the order of that is just, it's, it's pretty tough at this point. Um, they've comped well, Joseph to Buxton and all yep. kinds of, all kinds of stuff. So just think he has crazy ceiling. Um, who else did I have? Uh, Jose Perdomo I had in there. He, w- he would have been in my top 30. I did get him in one of the leagues. Uh, Ty Pete, who's a high schooler from Georgia mm-hmm. uh, with the Mariners. Questionable hit tool, but power speak. You get pretty crazy. Um, I think those are the only ones from like that I definitely would have had in the top 30. Um kind of crazy to me that chase davis yeah out of it i he was I, a top 10 I, pick at this point last summer i remember the very first fypd mock i heard i want to say and it was right after the draft i want to say chase davis went like fifth yeah, or sixth i was thinking it was like crazy seventh or eighth something like that it was it was really high i remember it may not have been quite five or six but it was really high yep. so surprise surprising to see him fall out but he had bad pro debut so that'll do it yep i had to well joseph at 23 and my last two were actually 29 and 30 so i'm not gonna sit here and say i was really high on him dylan head with san diego at 29 and ralphie velasquez with uh cleveland at 30 so those were yeah. my two um what about players who have been undrafted in sub drafts you know in these first year player drafts you also can draft guys who prospects who maybe were not on radars that maybe were unknown last year that caught a little buzz late in the year or in the off season. Did you have any of those guys that you picked up? I think the one that fits it the most for me is Braylon Tavera. 
yeah. from Baltimore. Was he not a was he not actually a first year player draft guy this year? No. I didn't no. know. That. So yeah, so he was a twenty twenty two signee, actually. Um he, I, I want to say he was like sixteen when he signed. And he's looked really good in the uh in the DSL low minors. Um and should be going up to low A this year, but kind of everything, you know, six two one seventy five up the middle, uh, projectable, all those things that I've kind of mentioned, you know, and uh, really, really strong K to walk so far. Obviously, far away, still a little bit of a project, but I saw a video of him that saying how he's been lifting and the contact was really loud. And um, yeah, he's one to watch for me. I took him in uh, a couple of the drafts, and. Um, yeah, I definitely like him. With guys in, on that level, it's kind of – it is a spec, but it's also just one of those where those are the types that can just shoot to the moon, you know? And if you roster enough of those, you hit. you're pro- you're probably going to have one that does that. So that's um, – it's intriguing to me to do, especially when it doesn't cost you much. And when I say doesn't cost you much, I mean anything from like – a mid second round pick on in an FYPD. I mean, those are, those assets are just easy to acquire. If they bust, it doesn't really kill you. And if they don't, you, you kind of know what the reward is. So yeah, Braylon Tavera would be my main guy on that. I've got, do you have anybody? Yeah, I had three of them. Uh, Andres Valor with Miami to um, so many tools, lightning quick hands really liked what I read about him. Robert Colads in Colorado, he was actually owned in arm too, but in my like my other dynasty, he was out there still, and I grabbed him. I did grab Tavera. I just didn't in that same draft. I just didn't realize he was not a. I like I missed that. I was thinking he was a first year player draft guy also. And then Alexander Albertus with the Dodgers, the guy I've grabbed in a few leagues. He's small, and he's got a swing similar to Mookie. So there's a lot of similarities there. Which unfortunately, when you're like that small, it you know you you don't most of those guys don't come into power um but on that he hit a bomb off of a rehabbing kershaw last summer that got a lot of attention on social media and he's one of those that could be a drop by the middle of the season um but i i don't know i just think that there's that's one to watch or you know take as with a late round pick and keep an eye on um last thing then so late round first year player draft targets that were actually you know first year player draft guys who'd you have Oh, uh, I actually missed this in the notes. Um, you could, yeah, do yours, do yours first. I can yes. definitely come up with a few. I uh, want um, Josh Noth and Blake Walters are two prep arms. I liked uh, Josh Noth, especially that, you know, both those guys, I think have a chance to explode up rankings this year. I take Noth first and it's mostly due to the organization he's in. Just again, talking about trusting organizations. The Brewers have had a pretty good track record of um, with arms and um yeah, I can't think of the word, but, you know, developing arms. Uh, Kendall George and Chandler Simpson are two 80-grade runners with very little pop. But I did hear George is like, you know, he's with the Dodgers, and I've heard D, um, D. Gordon comps for him, patient hitter. So that was another. Simpson is similar, but with Tampa, no power. So he could end up not working out. But 
he doesn't get the bat knocked out of his hands from what I read. And Adrian Santana is another one with the Rays who's a speedster that I've drafted. He has a little more pop than Santana, 70-grade runner, but also has more questions on the hit tools. So those were just a couple guys I've grabbed here and there late in these drafts. Did you, come, yeah, did you find uh, one? A few, yeah. Uh, Eric Batanti. Yeah. From the Brewers. I like his power potential. Um, I was watching a video of him just hitting tank after tank after tank after getting drafted. Um, I just think he has, for where you're getting him in an FYPD, I, I think I got him in like around pick 60 to 70. Um, and I've seen a few have him ranked a little higher than that, but I just think he has a lot of power upside, like a big lefty 6'4", um, you know, some swing and miss. So there will be some questions there. But, again, it's about kind of risk-reward. So I kind of like that. Um, one guy that's going a little higher that I liked a little more the more I looked into him is uh, Kevin McGonigal. Mm-hmm. And I think he's viewed as very boring um, because he's essentially a hit tool guy with not a ton of power or speed. Yep. But I do think that he's going to hit enough to get to the bigs. And when you have a guy like that, that's just in, you know, call it high A, double A, and then up to triple A, and they're just hitting, 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 they're going to find a place in a major league lineup, most likely, or at least get there. I think he's going to hit his way there. And he plays up the middle. Um, And again, going back to the up the middle thing, but if he's hitting and he's up the middle, you know, you can kind of see where a guy like that, it just turns into like Nico Horner, Bryson Stott, um, that type of player. Um, And I know I've said that I don't love those guys, but I'm talking about that, you know, Kevin McGonigal's ADP isn't 60 in redraft like Nico Horner's, you know, so you're investing at just such a lower cost. And I do think that there's some floor there. Like I, I was targeting him in RM three and didn't get him, but um, 20 team league. I just, I'm just like, this guy's going to hit to the bigs and then we'll see from there. You know, maybe you sell him along the way there's options, you know, these aren't drafted hold leagues. So um, you have a lot of options, but I, I do feel like some of these, you can kind of see paths to it. Like I, I always look at it like, if I don't love this guy, everybody else may love this guy. You know, I kind of put myself in the shoes of of other owners too. Um, one other one I'll mention is Francisco Valorio of the Yankees. Yes, um, I think he's raw, but I just think he's got a ton of power and speed, and I think he could just crush and like his rookie debut. You know, this year where he puts up just stupid stats. Um, I think that's a possible outcome. So I think he's one to watch. There's probably a few others. Um, Zaire Hope, I kind of like from the Dodgers, went to the uh, Dodgers in the trade for uh, Michael Bush. Um, not happy the Cubs gave him up, so Michael Bush better hit. That's what I've been saying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I do uh, like him, power and speed. Um, has some plate discipline too. So, yeah, that's a few that stuck out. I actually didn't get all of those guys, but – um, some that I've kind of looked at, liked where they're going, haven't always gotten them, but um, yeah, that's a few of them. I got Valorio in two of my three leagues, so that's that's one I nice. didn't mention, but yeah, that's another one I liked. Nice. 
So, yes. All right, that's going to close us up. We've talked a lot about this. Um, I went just a tad over where I hoped, but we gave a lot of good talk. And I knew we were going to, like, I even told you before we started recording, I'm like, Andrew, we are going to do this in 75 minutes or less. And no, we failed. But I, I said that because I knew it was going to be a challenge. Cause we got we got close. We got yeah. close. And yeah. we're going to be back next week talking pitchers. And the reason why I wanted a couple gap um, weeks of gap between finishing when we finish the hitters and getting into pitchers is because when spring training begins, that's when a lot of pitchers start dropping like flies and that's already been happening. I'm sure we're going to have, unfortunately way too many more that's going to happen this next week. And yeah, we're going to try to weave our way through all these injured pitchers and talk about the ones that are still healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably good to wait on pitchers till the end, but I think it's probably time to do it. So, yep, it will be time. We're going to get started next week. And until then, thanks for listening and take care, everybody. Yep. Take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us baseball365pod at gmail.com and if you like the show take a moment write us on itunes and once again please join the baseball 365 community on facebook that's where baseball lives 365 days a year 